0: you have your bibles i would invite you to turn with me to psalm 146 psalm 146 Hear then the word of god as the unnamed yet inspired psalmist gives to us god's word written Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose hope whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord is God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners he upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. May God add his richest blessing to this, the reading of his holy and his inspired infallible inerrant word we studied uh, Isaiah 40 in Sunday school this morning and there are those words the grass withers and the flower perishes us that's us that's us mortals but the word of our God endures throughout all generations let's pray Our Father and our God, we come in utter dependence upon you this day to have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. And we pray that you might enable us to do so, illumine us, to understand your word and then give grace, we pray, to apply it to our lives that we might not be hearers of that word only, but that we might be doers of the word and that we might be doers of the word to the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Psalm 146 begins and it ends the same way. It begins with praise the Lord. It ends with praise the Lord. Now, we use that expression, and sometimes we use that expression as an interjection, sort of a spontaneous outburst when we hear something that, that moves us, that stirs us, that uh, gives us joy. And so perhaps we hear a prayer that's been answered, and we, we say, we, we blurt it out perhaps, well, praise the Lord, or if we're on that uh, wonderful device known as the cell phone, and we are texting with somebody, and somebody texts us good news, and we may go to the keyboard and punch that uh, key that says all capitals and put PTL and an exclamation point after it. It's something that we often use as Christians in response, a spontaneous response to good news. But if you were to take this word and look at it, in the original language if you were to look at it in the hebrew and then you were to write out the hebrew in english letters you would have a word that comes over into our language in fact it comes over into many languages and the word that comes over is the word hallelujah because that's what hallelujah means it means praise the lord and we sometimes use hallelujah much the same way we use the expression praise the Lord. It's a rather spontaneous exclamation or an interjection that we sometimes put in our conversation. Somebody says something to us, we're moved by it, and we say hallelujah. We say it in agreement to something perhaps that has been said. That's one one use of, of praise the Lord. It's one use of Hallelujah, the word that comes from the Hebrew over to us in the English language. Now we said it began and it ends this 146th psalm. But my question this morning is, is it merely an interjection of praise, sort of a spontaneous thing that the the writer of the psalm gives to us at the beginning of the psalm and at the end of the psalm, or is it something more? And I want to suggest to you that it is something more. And in the first place, I would submit to you that praise the Lord or hallelujah is a divine summons that calls for a response. It is the divine summons that calls for a response. Now, let's take the word hallelujah. Okay, you say it's not here in my text. It is in your text. In some versions of the Bible, and we sing the Bible songs, that Bible song that is uh, based on Psalm 148 says, hallelujah, praise Jehovah. So it's there in in the uh, Hebrew. It's not here in the English. It is translated in the English as praise the Lord. But let's take the word hallelujah. It has three different parts to it. And the first part is the word halle. And that means to praise. It means to exalt. It means to lift up. It means to boast about. It means to speak well of. It means to celebrate somebody. Now, that's a definition of praise. But you know, I think if somebody were to praise you, you would know what praise is. Nobody would have to explain it to you. You know when somebody is praising you and sometimes it's used in the bible of people the virtuous woman of proverbs 31 it says that her children rise up to call her blessed and her husband praises her but most often in the psalms it comes to us as a summons to do something, and that summons is to praise. Notice how it's put here in our text. It doesn't say, I will praise the Lord. That would be in the indicative. It comes to us in what we call the imperative. It comes to us as a directive. It comes to us as a command. It comes to us as a summons. And it is a divine summons. Because it comes to us through the inspired writer but it comes ultimately from the author of scripture it comes from God himself this is God's word and the summons this morning in this passage comes from God it is a divine summons but look at the second part of the word hallelujah lu probably doesn't mean too much to us but it means you Now the King James Version uh, puts it this way. Praise ye the Lord. We don't have a subject here in praise the Lord. The subject is an understood subject. Somebody is being told to do something, and those folks who are being told are the ones who are the subject. And it is a plural you. It's the y'all of the South that we have here. And it's you all. And it's those who are joining us by way of live stream. There is a divine summons in this passage of Scripture that we read that comes from God Himself through His servant to us, all of us. It comes to you this morning, it comes to me this morning. And it is a summons to praise. And the object is the yah. It is a shortened form of Yahweh, that uh, personal name of God in the Old Testament Scripture. And so we have the summons. Now, maybe you've been summoned to a place you didn't want to go to. Maybe you've had a summons to appear in court. Maybe it was a traffic court. Maybe you had some unpaid traffic tickets. I don't know. But that kind of summons is one that I don't think would be very, very pleasant. Uh, We might see it as a duty, rendering unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, even those fines for unpaid traffic tickets, but it would still be our duty. But when we talk about this and the summons, the divine summons, in a sense, it should be, As our uh, directory of public worship puts us, not only a solemn duty, but a happy privilege. You know what the psalmist said in Psalm 122, verse 1. Psalm 122 is a psalm of ascent. It's one of those psalms that was sung on the way to Jerusalem as they went up to observe the feast. And it says there in Psalm 122, verse 1, I was glad, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house. Of the Lord together. Now I said at the beginning, I'm not the pastor of this church. Jeremiah Thomas is the pastor of this church, but Jeremiah Thomas will, has stood here, and I've seen him on numerous occasions say this before the worship service begins. He says, It's Sunday. And the Lord has brought us through again another week, and here we are. And he says it with that exuberance and he says it with that excitement. Uh, yes. We're here. God has brought us to this place. We're not here by accident this morning. Whether we're here in person, whether we're here on the Internet, we're not here by accident. God has brought us to this place, and he's given to us a divine summons that not only is a solemn duty, but it's a happy privilege that we made it. Commentators will tell you that uh, the journey to Jerusalem by those uh, Pilgrims wasn't always an easy journey. It wasn't always a short journey. There were trials. There were tribulations on the way. But when they came and when they got there, it was, it, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord together. Are you delighted to be here this morning for the purpose of praising the God who has brought you here to this place and this time? in your life. I think sometimes we and, and, and I, I say this that I know some of you, but I, I I don't really know what's going on in the lives of you who have come this morning or those who are joining us by internet know some things, but not much. And sometimes we go through heartache. Sometimes there are those things which can weigh heavily upon us. Sometimes in this COVID season, perhaps we we wonder where is all this going and when's it going to end? And the idea that we have a summons before us that we are to praise the lord might be the thing that is farthest from our mind and if i pray anything it'll be another psalm that perhaps is a plea for help or it uh, might talk about the situation that i find myself in and a cry to god about that the congregation of of israel did that in exile in psalm 137 by the waters of babylon there we sat down they hung their, their harps on the trees and their captors said to them, sing to us the, the songs of Zion. And They didn't feel like singing. They were in exile. We remember the Lord Jesus, when he died on the cross, he cried out from the cross, that cry of dereliction, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me just say this, read on in Psalm 22, you will come to praise It doesn't end with the cry of dereliction. There is that praise that comes at the end of Psalm 22. But it may sound foreign to us that that we're summoned in this psalm to praise the Lord, going through what we're going through. And yet, I would say to you this morning that whatever God commands for his glory is good and best for our lives. Father knows best. This isn't some traffic court judge calling you in on the carpet. This is our Heavenly Father who loves us with an everlasting love, who for our salvation spared nothing but delivered up His only begotten Son. And He it is who summons us. And if He summons us to do something for His glory, knowing who He is, we can Bet, well, not bet. We can rely that it's good, and best for our lives. Reminder to that hymn. oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness, you see. There's light for a look at the Savior. There's life, more abundance, and free. Now what? Turn. Turn what? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Where? In the light of His glory and grace and only in the light of His glory and grace. And if He summons us to praise Him, it's good and best for us as well as for His glory. Now, It's a divine summons that demands or calls for response. I love what our directory of uh, worship says. It says that Christian worship is the work of God's sanctifying grace by which he draws his people into communion with himself and calls forth active, grateful, obedient, cheerful, reverent, wholehearted response for all that he is and has done for his people. Worship is not something in which we come to spectate. Worship is something that we come to participate. We have a summons, a divine summons from God himself to come and to focus our attention upon him and who he is and all that he's done and to praise him now it demands a response so if you look at verse two notice what or verse one the last part of verse one it says praise the lord O my soul there's somebody it's it's the psalmist himself who says oh I'm, I'm, to, I'm to communicate this message, praise the Lord. It's for everybody, but you know something? That's for me too. And he's, in a sense, rousing himself in light of what God says to do. And he's speaking to himself. Hey, I sit back there oftentimes. I know what goes through my mind oftentimes. When you came this morning, when you sit down this morning, when you heard the word of God this morning, did you say to yourself, praise the Lord, oh my soul? Because it demands a response. And the psalmist can answer for himself. The psalmist can't answer for anybody else. But he can answer for himself. He can rouse himself. He can take seriously the word of God himself. He can respond to the word of God himself by grace. And You and I have been called, no less so, and summons. But you must answer for you. And I must answer for myself. I can't praise the Lord for you. You can't praise the Lord for me. But the psalmist says, praise the Lord, O my soul. And then he says consciously, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. And I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. He says it consciously, and he also mentions a way by which he might do that concretely. And the way in which he might do it concretely is the way that I love that he says it and that we have the ministry of music within the life of the church, I will sing. I I don't know what people do who don't sing. I really don't. Or don't have a song to sing. But the psalmist says, I will sing. And, And he'll do it as long as he has breath, as long as he has strength, He's engaged in worship, and his whole being is engaged in that worship. His heart, his mind, his body, his soul, it's all engaged in worship. Now, secondly, praise the Lord draws our attention to the one who only is our help and our hope, and that is the Lord. You notice that he says negatively, don't put your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that day, his plans perish. There are two reasons that he gives about not putting your trust in princes, not putting your trust in people of pool and power and position and authority. And the first reason is they can't save you. Now, In the Old Testament, we have Israel, and Israel sometimes uh, trusted in princes. Despite what it says in their prayer book, despite what it said in their hymn book, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes, Psalm 118. It's there, and yet there was that temptation to have somebody before them, even as they asked Samuel, give us a king, give us a king like the other nations. And so... They were given a king, Saul, David, Solomon, and the split of the kingdom, kings of the north, kings of the south, some good, some bad, mostly bad, but none who could save them, none who could deliver them. And sometimes they were tempted to look at foreign alliances and and perhaps trust in Egypt or some such nation to deliver them from from a dangerous situation, yet they found out the hard way. There was no deliverance with them. And if salvation has that connotation in the Old Testament, certainly you and I know that in the New Testament, there is no salvation in men when it comes to death, to sin, and to Satan. Only the Lord can save the second reason that he gives here is because all of these folks whether they like it or not are subject to term limits they die the years of our days are three score and ten or by reason of strength four score year somebody has said some of us are living on borrowed time Blossom and we flourish like leaves on a tree. We wither, we perish, but not changeth thee. We just had the inauguration of the 46th president of the United States of America. If I count right, we have five living presidents. I hope I'm right on that. Five living former presidents and the current president of the United States. Now, I know there's sort of a a way to count this. There's really 45 instead of 46. Be be that as it may, where are the other 39 or 40? Where are they? They've died. They've moved on. And their plans, many times, with them, because in comes a new administration. I think of... um, Charles Colson, who was special counsel for Richard Nixon and uh, who was in a place where he knew where there was the seat of power in terms of uh, politics and, and military and all of that there in Washington, D.C. And Charles Colson came to faith in Jesus Christ and he once said this. He said, the kingdom of God will not arrive on Air Force One. Put not your confidence In princes, put not your confidence in a son of man. But then he goes on to say, there is a benediction here. And that benediction is for those whose trust is in the Lord. The book of Psalms begins with a benediction. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate both day and night. This is the last benediction that you'll find in the book of, of Psalms. What a benediction it is. Because this benediction directs us to the one who is our help and who is our hope and who alone is our help and our hope. The benediction here in Psalm 146, blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob. Who is he? Well, praise the Lord. Lord is his personal name. He is the self-existent, sovereign God who is dependent upon no one and no one else for his existence. We are dependent beings who are dependent upon him, but he is sovereign, self-existent. He is the one who makes covenant with his people. He is the one who never breaks his promises. He keeps faith. And he is the one who saves and is able to save his people. He makes his promises and he keeps them because he's faithful and he's able to keep those promises. And you notice here, it says here that he is the God of Jacob. Well, well, one commentator has said that uh, of all the patriarchs, Jacob was probably the least worthy and the craftiest of all the patriarchs. He, was, he came out grabbing hold of his, brother's, his twin brother's uh, heel. And he got along by trickery, deceit, cunning. He plotted, he schemed, he got ahead. And yet, God in his grace chose him, and he saved him, and he worked in him both to will and to do his good pleasure. To say that he is the God of Jacob, as someone has said, is to speak of God's condescending uh, tenderness, his patience, his care. It's to speak of his grace, and that's good news, That there is the God of Jacob because all of us are like Jacob. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sometimes we say, but for the grace of God. Well, Psalm 103 tells us that he he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor repaid us according to our iniquities. God, in his great love for sinners has not spared his own son, but delivered him up that we might have life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace, somebody has defined grace like this, taking the letters, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. He's the God of Jacob. He is a God who is just and who is holy. He will execute justice as we read in chapter uh, 146, verse 7. And he will uh, bring the wicked to ruin, verse 9. But he is the God who sent forth his son and set him forth publicly as a sacrifice for sins That would fully satisfy the justice of God and turn away his righteous anger. That those who trust in him might be accounted as righteous. And that he himself might be the just and the justifier of those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to his name. Look at the activities. He's the creator. Ruler, sustainer of heaven and earth. He's the one who keeps covenant. He's the one who is the just judge. In verses 7 to 9, there are different things that he does. He executes justice. He sets the prisoner free. He opens the eyes of the blind and so on and so forth. I love what Derek Kittner says in his commentary on the book of Psalms. He says, if you look at these activities that are said to be God's activities, and then you look at the New Testament, it's like father, like son. And he points us to Luke chapter 4 when Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth and they asked him to speak and he picked up the scroll to the prophet Isaiah chapter 61 and he read about how he was anointed to preach the good news and to bring freedom to the captive and all of this and all of that. And then when he got done, he gave it back to be set back and he said today, today. Today, this is fulfilled in your reading. The very things that we read about here, the very things that we read about in Isaiah 61 are attributed to the Lord Jesus and his ministry. In in Luke chapter 7, when John sent disciples to say, are you the one or shall we wait for another? Oh, you go tell John that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. And so on and so forth. What was he doing? He was referring back to those things that the Messiah who would come would do. Isaiah 35, Isaiah 42, that he would do. But these are things that are said that God would do. Look at verse 8. It says this. He opens the eyes of the blind. Have you ever thought in the Old Testament where God opened the eyes of the blind? Where is it? I don't think you'll find a place where he opens the eyes of the blind. Oh, but you will in the New Testament, because when you come to the New Testament, there is one who opens the eyes of the blind. That which only God can do, that which the Messiah would do, that which finds its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Read the New Testament, and the only one that is recorded to have opened the eyes of the blind is the Lord Jesus Christ, not his disciples. At least it's not recorded that they did. It's only Jesus who opened the eyes of the blind in a miraculous way. I know Ananias went and prayed for Paul. I think that's a different kind of thing that's going on there. It finds its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. That one who came and by his miracles would authenticate both who he is and what he has come to do. And he had come to seek and to save the lost. There is the eternal Son of God who became man who dwelt among us and was full of grace and truth and we have beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father and who has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. I read here where it says that God opens the eyes of the blind and I, 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 I read that account in John chapter 9 where Jesus opens the eyes of the blind and and just can't fathom what it would be like to be blind from birth and then have your eyes open and you're able to see. But I submit to you this morning, just as surely as he opened the eyes of the blind man, in John chapter 9, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you come to know him as your Lord and as your Savior, he has opened your eyes. as only he can open the eyes of the blind. We think too little of these things and our praise lags behind. But if scripture is true and Jesus said, sanctify them in truth, thy word is truth, it is absolutely true. And John Newton captured it in amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind. I was blind. But now I see. Last, the Lord, praise the Lord, shows us our help and our hope. And that hope is an everlasting hope. Look at verse 10. The Lord Will reign forever, your God, O Zion to all generations. Praise the Lord. Read Psalm 146. And when you go home, if you have want something to do that's profitable, read Psalm 147. Read Psalm 148. Read Psalm 149. Read Psalm 150. In fact, if you want to take a shortcut, read the very first thing that it says, the very last thing it says in all of those Psalms. And what you'll see is there is a hallelujah chorus at the end of the prayer book, in the hymn book, of God's people. And I love to think of it this way. We know how it's gonna turn out. Through all the struggle that we have through the Psalms and all the cries, we come to the hallelujah chorus. But the book of Psalms is not the only one that ends with a hallelujah chorus. You come to Revelation 19, and there's that fourfold hallelujah. Because God has dealt with his enemies and he shall reign forever and ever. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. Let's pray. We say with the psalmist Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Oh, open our eyes to see who you are and all that you've done. Move our hearts not only to spontaneous but well-thought-out praise and adoration. Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for calling us into communion with yourself. Thank you for summoning us to respond in active, grateful, obedient, joyful, reverent, whole, hearted praise. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.